Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Well, it's nice to stand up here and see a beautiful day and some beautiful faces. I'm just talking about the babies and the beautiful faces, but got a lot of them here today. It's so wonderful. We got a few of them I've already put to sleep and I haven't even started preaching. The rest of them just hang tight and I'll get my work done here in just a moment. We got one baby that needs to repent. I don't know if she crawls yet, but she's wearing a Kentucky bow and she's going to have to come up and repent after the service is over. And then Mr. Brady made his first appearance today. I'm as shocked as you are. Brady doesn't show up on Sundays usually, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, where's Colton at? He missed it. Oh, my, my Steelers joke. He just missed it. Okay, all right. Someone tell Colton I made fun of the Patriots. Okay, good. All right, we are bringing our series called Ready for War to a close this week and next. we got two weeks left, and as you notice from the reading, if you've been here week after week, we've been going through the pieces of the Roman armor that Paul is using as a metaphor for the gifts that God has given to Christians as armor to put on so that they can fight the spiritual battle that we are all as believers in Christ engaged in. And we have come to the end of that. And now we're down in verse 18, and we are coming to two last essential items that we've got to discuss if we're actually going to be good soldiers wearing the armor and fighting this battle the way that we're supposed to fight and finishing the course that we have set before us. The first one is this, that we've actually got to talk about today, and that aspect that is essential for us to put on this armor, to wear it well, to fight with great uh, courage, is the aspect of prayer. Next week we're going to talk about connection or fellowship, that we're not designed to fight alone. No soldier goes into battle all by him or herself, that the soldier is supposed to go into battle with a unit. But today we're going to talk about prayer. And our text is really simple. It answers basically all of our questions that we might have from a basic level about prayer, and how it helps us wear the armor. So we're going to try to make this connection this morning between putting on the armor and how prayer helps facilitate that and helps us stay alert and stay ready to fight this battle. So we're going to answer really basic questions like when to pray and how to pray, what to pray. And he's going to finish with the very important question of why. Why should we pray? Let's start with the when, though, this morning. When to pray. And there's two things that this text tells us about when to pray that are really important. One is pretty uh, obvious, you can see in verse 18, and one is sort of subtle. I want to start with the subtle one. You notice, up until this point, Paul has been writing, and he has been saying, you need to put on this piece, and then put on this piece, and then take up this piece, and take up this piece, and he has an order to it. And there's, like in the English language, commas and connections so that this sentence comes together. And he says in verse 18, without taking a breath, after he tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, verse 18, you notice it's not the beginning of a sentence, right? It's a lowercase p. He says, taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and in the same breath, he says, praying at all times praying. And this order is not 
done on accident or without intention. In fact, Paul could have started out by saying, what I want you to do is be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. I want you to wear the armor. I want you to be ready to fight. Let's pray together. And then I want you to start putting on the pieces of the armor. But he doesn't do that. He says, I want you to be ready to fight. I want you to be strong in the Lord. I want you to stand. Here are the pieces of armor you have to wear. And then he says, pray. You see, the first thing about when to pray that's important is it actually comes after the armor is put on. Now, this is important because as Paul lists the armor and then follows with praying, what he's trying to say is the act of praying is what it sort of sums this up or ties this together so that we're ready to wear. You see, putting on the armor is what you and I do. If you've been here week after week, you've probably realized this. If not, I'm going to tell you. Week after week, what you've probably learned is when you put the armor on, it is an act done in your thought life. It's done in where you think. Now, you have to go all the way back to um, the beginning of this series to remember that where this battle is fought is not in flesh and blood. It's not in the physical world this battle is being fought. The battle for your spiritual life is fought not in the physical, but in your mind. That's where the war is taking place. And so the armor that we put on is armor that is done and put on in our mind, in our thought life. And if you reflect at all about how life is lived, you'll realize that a lot of your life is actually lived inside of your mind. Meaning, you think about a lot of things. You contemplate a lot of things. You reflect on a lot of things. You have judgments about a lot of things and conclusions and decisions. Your life is lived so much inside of your mind, and that's also where the battle is being fought. And this is something that each and every one of us must learn to do if we're going to really learn how to um, be ready for war, is to put on each piece of armor in our mind. And that means that we actually have to think rightly about each piece of this armor. For example, he says that we wear the belt of truth. Now, tomorrow when you wake up, you're probably, you might put on a belt, a leather belt or a different kind of material belt, but the belt of truth means that in your mind you say, what I want to do is prepare myself and center myself with truth. I don't want lies. I don't want deception. I don't want manipulation. I want to know the truth, even if it's hard. I want to know it. And then you say, well, you put on the breastplate of righteousness. That means in your mind, you say, that which protects my will, my intention, my motivation, and my heart is the righteousness of Jesus. Then you put on the shoes of the gospel. That doesn't mean you put something on your feet. That means that you stand with stability and you have mobility with the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done for you in the cross, his tomb, and his resurrection. And then you take up the shield of faith. That means in your mind you have a trust, not in yourself anymore or in anything else. You trust in the power of God to quench all the darts that Satan is going to fire at you. And you wear the helmet of salvation. That means that you think rightly about how you've been saved, not by works, not by your merit, but by the graciousness of God. You think rightly about that. And you take up the sword of the Spirit, which is designed to renew your mind. Do you see how all this plays out in your mind? You, as a Christian, have to learn how to put on accurately all these pieces of the armor in your mind so that you're ready to start the day. And when you think rightly through all those pieces of the armor, it brings about what Paul calls every thought 
into the captivity of the obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's trying to teach us. That putting on the armor is when we grab all of these thoughts that we have about the world, about what we're supposed to be, and how we're supposed to live, and the armor brings all of those thoughts into the captivity and obedience of Jesus Christ. You see, what we find out is when you put on the armor in your mind, prayer is the natural response after you put the armor on. When you have thought through the implications of each and every piece of the armor, it naturally produces in you a desire to pray to God out of gratitude for what He's given to you, out of supplication, please help me, so I could wear this all day today. And so you stay connected to Him. Putting on the armor will enrich your prayer life as you start the day. But you notice He doesn't just say that we pray after we put the armor on. He also says we pray at all times, or at every turn. Notice in verse 18, he says, praying always, or at all times. That means, basically in the sense, at every opportunity, at every turn, at every pivot point, not in your week or your month or your year, but at every pivot point of your day, be praying as a person. That means being thoughtful about praying. That means that in each and every moment of your life, as you are working through decisions, as you're interacting with people, as you're facing circumstances, your instinct is to pray. Your instinct. Nehemiah is a great example of this. If you look back in the story of Nehemiah, he is one of the exiles, and he's serving the king, and he's his cupbearer, meaning that he is in a pretty important role. And he shows up one day in front of the king. He's been lamenting and crying and praying for months and months over the destruction of his home city, Jerusalem. It lays in ruin, and he's upset about it. And he's been praying for months and months to God about it, and he shows up in front of the king, and he's sad. And the king, now in those days, that's an offense that could have you killed. You do not upset the king. You don't stand in front of the king being moping or sad. And all of a sudden he shows up and he's sad. And the king says, why is your countenance fallen? Meaning, why are you sad? And it says, Nehemiah goes, and I prayed and said to the king. Now, how quick do you think, standing in front of a guy that could kill you, how quick do you think that prayer was? Do you think he said, hey, hold on, king, and he bent down on a knee and said, our father, I'd like to thank you for this day and the many blessings you've given us. And, and <laughs> Instant, right? Okay, he's asking me, what do you want me to do? What, what does the king want? What does he want from the king? And Nehemiah in an instant says, and I prayed. It was probably something like, God, help me. God, guide me. Father, lead me. Help me. Here's the moment. Pray. And in that moment, that's what it means to pray at all times. Your instinct is to pray. As Paul would later say, pray without ceasing. Being, live a life, be a person of prayer. So your next meeting at work, pray before it. The next interaction you have with somebody, pray about it. Before coaching your kids in sports, I need to pray about that. Driving home after a long day before you meet your family again, when you walk in the door, pray. Hang your troubles on the tree outside and don't walk in with them. Do you see what I'm saying? Pray at every moment. Small, bite-sized prayers. That's when to pray. Second question is this, how should you pray? And again, he answers with a very simple phrase in verse 18. He says, pray at all times. And then he says, in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Left into human devices, that idea of praying in the Spirit can mean a lot of things, right? We can go pretty wild. We can go a lot of different places with what it means. 
In the spirit, I don't think he's talking about form. He's not talking about our emotions. I mean, praying in the spirit doesn't mean that you just have some um, incredible emotional experience. Praying in the spirit does not mean praying only with sanctified phrases that we agree upon that are acceptable to pray with. Praying does not mean that we use stained glass language or loud voices. Praying in the Spirit, he's already told us what that means. In verse 17, what did he say about the Spirit? Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Do you see how those two connect? He's saying in one sentence, take up the sword of the Spirit. It's God's Word. Praying at all times in the Spirit. You see, what he's guiding you to is this idea that to pray in the Spirit means to be guided by God's Word in all things concerning prayer, to be led by God's Word, to be taught by God's Word, to be motivated by God's Word, to let God, the author of prayer, instruct you about prayer. That's what it means. And it means two specific things for us this morning. It can mean a lot of things, but let's get these two things. First of all, it means how we actually pray. In the Spirit, again, is not our form. I don't think what he's saying is on your knees or with your eyes closed or with your hands folded. Prayer is an incredibly simple thing. It's interesting because whether you've been taught well or not, we all sort of have have an instinct about what prayer is. Even if you're religious or not religious, people have an instinct about prayer because prayer is basic. It's communication to the Father. Now, there are all kinds of forms of that communication. But when he says how here, you know, those forms can be adoration. You could thank God for who he is. It can be confession. I'm praying to tell God what I've done and I need cleansing for my sin. It could be thanksgiving. God, you have done this, this, and this, and I'm so thankful for it. It can be supplication. God, I'm asking for help with something. But how, when he says in the spirit, means with the guidance of and in search for what is revealed in God's Word. That's the substance of what we pray for. Wanting and searching and longing for what God has revealed about life and about us in His Word. You know, I think that's actually what Jesus was trying to drive home when He told us to pray in His name. He has, you know that point in the upper room when Jesus taught us to pray in His name? He says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, I'll do for you. And when you pray, pray in my name. So we end here. What we've learned to do is end our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name. Now, in Jesus' name is not like the stamp that has to be put on the envelope. If we don't put the stamp, it doesn't make it there. That's not what in Jesus' name is. Think about it. If If somebody comes in the name of somebody else, what are they doing? They're representing that person. And they're coming to them in their name, saying, by their power, by their authority, in search of their will, to execute their desires. If I come in Todd's name to somebody else, my obligation in that moment is to actually represent Todd's will, Todd's desire, Todd's intention, what Todd wants to have executed, because I'm coming in his name. And so when I pray in Jesus' name, I'm not just having some phrase that grants me access, although that's true. What I'm coming as, as a person who is a Christian in search of the will of God. That's what that means. By the authority given to me from Jesus Christ because of his blood, I can enter into.
presence of God. But when I come in his name, I'm saying what I want is the will of Jesus to be done in all things. It's not what I really want is what I want. And if I say in Jesus name, God has to give it to me. That's not what that means. That's what, how we pray. But we learn by this phrase in the spirit, not just how we pray, but also how God answers. How God answers. God also answers in the spirit. Do you know God answers every single prayer? There's not a prayer that goes ignored or gets lost in the junk box. There's not a prayer that gets missed. None of those things ever happen. God actually answers every prayer according to his promises. This is the boundaries by which God exists and God dwells with in the way that he answers every one of our prayers. And this is incredibly reasonable and logical. You'll understand in just a moment. And think about this. His main promise is this. Every action he takes, every answer he gives, every thought that he has is for the ultimate and highest good of every person in this world. It's for our good. Now, the problem is we often disagree with God about what is good for us. And if you've ever been a child with parents, you know this, or had a child, you know how this works. Oftentimes, children disagree with their father or their parent about what is best for them. And this issue, not with God and his boundaries, but with our expectations, has given rise to so much disappointment with people in God. And so much frustration and so much lack of belief that prayer doesn't work. Just think about this. Consider children. You can think about my children. I'll tell you many examples about them. They have requests all the time. You might call them prayers. They come to their authority figure, their parent, and they say, I would like this, this, and this. Could I have this, this, and this? Can we do this, this, and this? They have requests all the time. All the time. Okay? Requests. Really. They have strong desires. They want a lot of things. And when their request is not in their best interest, there are times when Lisa and I say no to that request. And if you were in our family and you heard a time when Lisa or I would say no to our children and it was not in their best interest to give them what they were asking for, I doubt many of you in here would be like, boy, you are awful parents. Don't you love your kids? Give them whatever they want. We think that's crazy, right? And yet when we have a father who knows all things and even tells us, you're evil and know how to give good gifts. I'm perfect. And he at times says no or does something that we don't think that we, we, we want him to do something else. We sometimes fail to trust him in the way that he answers. So when to pray, how to pray, but what, what about what to pray? What are we supposed to pray for? And he tells us this. In verses 18 and 19, the first thing he says is that we're supposed to pray for all things. Read this again in verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. All prayer and supplication. Pray for all things. This phrase prayer is actually a really generic word. It just means to actually speak towards and give and exchange wishes. That's what it means. So, so the word prayer means just to express to somebody else what you're longing for. That's all it means. Now, inside of that, we've got specific prayers we see revealed in Scripture. I mentioned them already. There's prayers of adoration in awe of who God is. There's prayers of confession to tell God what we've done to confess to Him. Prayers of thanksgiving, gratitude for what God has done for us. And there's prayers of supplication. 
And twice, Paul says supplication in this text. Supplication means to bring what you're requesting to God, to bring what you're concerned about, to bring what bothers you. Whatever is bothering you, whatever you're concerned about, whatever you're worried over, that's actually the avenue, prayer is the avenue by which you bring all those things to God. In fact, there's nothing too trivial for God that he doesn't want to hear about or want to know. Paul would tell us in Philippians chapter 4 that we should be anxious for nothing. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which is us, belongs to us in Jesus Christ, will guard our hearts and our minds. There's a kind of peacefulness that transcends even what you can understand, even what you can explain. Just think about this. Most of us in here try to solve our worries, our fears, and our anxieties with our understanding. We think it's a lack of what we know or a lack of what we're able to control, a lack of what we're able to produce. And so I will be able to calm my fears, solve my worries, quench my concerns if I could understand something or control something. And what Paul is saying is that when you bring those anxieties in prayer to God, knowing who he is, how he answers, you can actually have a kind of peace that transcends just what your mind can understand. The other place that I would refer you to is 1 Peter chapter 5 where Peter tells us to cast our fears, our anxieties, onto God because He cares for you. So what are you supposed to pray for? There's not a list. All things. What are you worried about? What are you afraid of? What are you concerned over? What's troubling you? Stop holding on to it. Stop bearing it. Stop trying to, with your anxiousness and fear and concern and all your wisdom, trying to fix everything, cast it up to heaven. Let God walk with you. Let Him help you. Too many of us in our pull ourselves up by our bootstrap mentality try to solve our own problems without God. And we're missing the great glory of prayer. But we're not supposed to just pray for all things. He says something else in verse 19. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. The end of verse 18. Making supplication for not just all your things, but he says all the saints. Saints. Now, something unique about this word saints, what do you notice about it? Singular or plural? Well, you didn't see it? What it? Singular or plural? Plural. Let me tell you a problem with my prayer life. Saints is often singular in my prayer life. There's only one saint I pray for oftentimes. I'll give you a guess who he is. That's the guy I pray about the most. One saint. Just this one. And Paul says here that you and I need to be bringing our supplication for the saints, plural. Prayer is a quiet, unseen, unrecognizable form of service to your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. No one will see it. No one will know it. No one will hear about it. But as you draw into your closet of prayer time, your solitude, and you come into that place because of the graciousness of God, selfless, not selfish, 
And you start thinking about the people you sit around. Right now, you've got five or six that are sitting around you, or the people in your section, or the people in your congregation, or the people in your family, extended family. And you say, I'm going to bring to bear upon heaven time spent for somebody else. You'll never know until we get to heaven the kind of impact we're going to have. But when you believe prayer makes a difference in somebody's life, start praying for them. And I would encourage you not just to pray for all saints, generically, like God, will you be with the church at Pickerington or, you know, the middle third section that I sit in, which is obviously the best, or like, I, I don't encourage you to do that. What I say is grab a person for a day. Take you about a year to get through our congregation. A year. One person. You don't even have to grab a family. You can grab Parker Wilson. You don't have to pray about Clay one day. Just, just a little Parker. Just pray for her. Yeah, Parker, we're going to pray for you, okay? And then we're going to pray for Josh and then Sam. And you start thinking about these people. And most of you know what's going on in their lives. You're familiar with them, right? And guess what? If you don't know, <laughs> call them and talk to them. What would happen to our body if all we did was take five minutes and say, today I'm going to pray for Andy Perkins and think about him? What would happen? We can't spare five minutes? Ten? I think you'll find if you invest five, it'll turn into 20. And I think the next time you see that person, when I pray for Andy on Monday, and next time I see Andy on Wednesday, what's going to be on my mind? How is Andy? And I'm going to ask him questions that have to do with Andy. And I'm going to see what's going on in his life. And I'm going to care about him. And guess what's going to happen? Somebody's going to eventually, hopefully, please, I need it, pray for me. And then when you see me, you'll ask me questions about me and my life and my family. I'll get to share with you. And we'll get to know each other better. Just imagine what will happen. And here's the deal. Every person in this room needs it. From bottom to top, top to bottom, left to right, every person in here. Who is the one person that Paul asks for, for prayer specifically in this text? It's not the struggling brethren. It's not the weak brethren. He says, listen, pray for me, the Apostle Paul. What is he asking for? I need boldness. Paul, maybe next to Jesus, the most bold person I've ever met in my life, like saying, church, I need you to pray for me. I need help to be bold. There's not a person in this room that doesn't need prayer. And we need to be praying for each other. But the last question will be done is this. Why? Why pray? There's a lot of ancillary reasons I've mentioned here, but why pray? I want to tell you a story about the end of Jesus' life. <clears throat> when prayer became kind of central. It became the focus of the story. Jesus left the upper room and he took Peter, James, and John with him to the Mount of Olives. And in that place, in that scene, that night, prayer became the central thing of the story. And Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he asks them to pray. And he goes off a little bit farther, and he prays. And Jesus returns, and he finds Peter, James, and John not praying, but asleep. They've grown, they've grown tired, and they've grown weary. And he, asks, he wakes them up and says, guys, listen, I know the Spirit's willing, your flesh is weak, come on, guys, pray. And he goes back again, and he prays, and they're not praying. And he finally comes back after the third time, wakes them up, and as the night unfolded, as the night unfolded, if you and I were living in that moment, you and I might think at the end of that night and the next morning, Peter, James, and John had prayers answered and Jesus didn't. Right? Peter, James, and John lived. Jesus died. Wait a minute. Whose prayer got answered? But that's not how it worked. As history shows, that's not right. 
Because that night, that night, the only person ready for the action of God to happen in their life was the man who was praying. Peter, James, and John were not ready for what God was going to do that night because they weren't praying. And so that night they scattered and they lied and they hid and they were afraid. How many of us are living, hiding, scared, afraid, running because we're not praying? And Jesus that night had his prayer answered and it took him to death. But he was alert and he persevered as he walked with God because that's what prayer does for us, as Paul said. He says, praying always so that we might keep alert with perseverance. But you might ask, well, what happened to Peter, right? You all know the story, what happened to Peter? How did he make a comeback? Because he made a pretty impressive comeback. Of course, he had breakfast with Jesus that really restored him, had a great impact on his life. But something happened that you got to make sure you know happened earlier in the story. Some of you may feel like Peter that night, guilty because your lack of commitment or lack of prayer. Some of you right now might be feeling like we're talking about prayer and I don't pray enough or I don't pray at all. Or my prayers are weak and shallow or they're disinterested and I have no passion in them. Maybe you're feeling like Peter that night. I want you to remember what Jesus told Peter before that night. Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. I've prayed for you, Peter. Why did Peter make a comeback? We sang the song already. Who saved us from eternal loss? And the guys answer, who but God's son upon the cross? And then we say, the girls say, what did he do? And we say, he died for you. And then the last question is this. Where is he now? What's the answer? In heaven, interceding for you. So if you're feeling guilty today, not praying enough, not praying right, shallow prayers, insufficient prayers, and Satan is right now just... Jesus is saying, I've prayed for you, and I am praying for you. I'm interceding. Trust him. And when you get it, when you trust him, when you know how much he's loved you, guess what you'll want to do? Come closer and closer to him. And if you're far from him, don't let Satan string you out and be far from him anymore. Come close to him. If now's your time, you can come as we stand and sing.